blood moon has risen. It is time to tell stories of the strange and sometimes terrifying. A black cat brings us a true story. A vampire bat bites into a tall tail. An owl flies in a story from another world. Greetings, this is Blood Moon Podcast. I'm your Blood Moon host, Andrew Carey. Blood Moon Podcast is now on most podcast apps, so please subscribe in order to get new episodes. We're looking to bring to life stories of the strange and sometimes terrifying. If you have a story you want on a future episode, Please make your submission at bloodmoonpodcast.com. Rob in Florida is back with another black cat story. This chilling account is called Uninvited Guests, St. Augustine. months after our wedding, Jill and I went to St. Augustine, Florida. She had booked two ghost tours for the trip. After experiencing a couple of unexplained events on our wedding night in Salem, Massachusetts, we couldn't wait for what St. Augustine had in store for us. On the first walking tour, the guide told us we would travel around various hotspots of paranormal activity and would be given some history. The guide also recommended to take a lot of pictures as the potential to see energy orbs would be high. A book was on display where the tour started, and there was a picture of a translucent figure that appeared to be a little girl in a dress. The last stop on the tour was a cemetery. The guide suggested, if you feel something calling to you, take a picture. All of a sudden, I felt a particular tombstone calling out to me, so I quickly took a picture. I felt compelled to walk around to the back corner of the cemetery. I took another photo. Unfortunately, Our tour guide did not give us information on the tombstone. Jill and I went back to the hotel disappointed as we felt the first trip was a dud. 
Two days later, our second tour began at the Fountain of Youth. It was dark and quiet. It was a type of quiet where you could hear your own heartbeat. Twigs snapped at our feet. There was a very ominous feel. Jill was taking pictures. Then the tour guide asked, Do you ever feel like you're being watched? My wife nodded her head. Look up, said the tour guide. So we looked up. There had to be about 70 to 80 peahens and peacocks in the trees above, quietly sitting still, watching our every move. We continued to move on. Next, we approached the cemetery from the previous tour. I was determined to find out about the tombstone that I had took pictures of that night. I didn't have to ask, as the guide gave us information about the tombstone. What the guide said still gives me chills. The tombstone belonged to a judge. My wife and I just looked at each other. Because a nickname given to me when I was in high school was Judge. Even more remarkable, this judge was born in Lynn, Massachusetts, the same town where I was born. I could feel my wife clench my hand. The tour walked around to the back corner of the cemetery, which was another area I felt the urge to photograph. Apparently, women have tripped and felt like their hair was being pulled in that area of the cemetery. It turns out three brothers, whom were buried there, were known pranksters in the town of St. Augustine. Although I come from a family of three boys, none of us are pranksters, so I wasn't sure what made me take a photo. Then the tour concluded. As Jill and I returned home after the honeymoon, we had some pictures developed. A picture Jill took at the Fountain of Youth revealed something you would never see in Florida. It looked like snow. The picture was littered with energy orbs, which explains the feeling we both had walking in that area. It caused me to go back to my digital camera and zoom in on all the pictures. I landed on the picture of the back corner of the cemetery. My heart dropped. Zooming in, you could clearly see three men standing there in the emptiness. How is it possible? How did I take a picture not knowing the story and get the three men in my photo? I have shown the picture to family and some co-workers, and they all see the three men. Did you survive the haunted tour? Now we will travel to Italy in 1776. There, 
we will witness a grisly scene. Holy fire. Don Joe Maria Bertoli of Mount Valore had traveled throughout Italy during the autumn of 1776. Earlier, the priest made a stop in the town of Foleto to conduct some business. Now he has arrived at his brother-in-law's home in Finile. It's his intention to recuperate from his exhausting trip, but fate would have other plans. Don Bertoli requests a handkerchief to place under his rough horsehair shirt to ease his discomfort. Priests often wore horsehair shirts as an act of penance, but on this evening it would not disrupt Bertoli from his prayers. He is shown to his room, and soon he begins his routine. A short time later, the priest feels a stinging blow to his right hand, and a burning sensation engulfs him. His agonizing screams fill the home. Alerted by the terrible cries, the family rushes into his chambers to find him outstretched on the floor. They see a flame over the priest. As if the flame has consciousness, it quickly retreats as the family approaches. The flame disappears by the time they reach him. Bertoli is carefully moved to his bed and given aid. The stricken man summons enough strength to explain to his helpers what had occurred. Oh, sentito. Un colpo sulla mia mano e una fiamma se è attaccata a me. Bertoli's aides look around the room. There is no smoke, nor is there an odor. No signs of a fire can be detected. An oil lamp is found. However, it's dry and the wick is practically non-existent. The next morning, a surgeon, Dr. Joseph Battaglia, tends to the severely injured priest. Dr. Battaglia discovers that the flesh is dangling from the bone on the right arm. The arm itself seems to hang by a thread of tissue. Bertoli is also burnt from the shoulders to the thighs. Despite the doctor's best efforts to heal the man, the wounds begin to putrefy. Although the priest's body is ravaged, much of his clothes, with the exception of his silk cap, were unburnt. Oddly enough, his hair wasn't burned. Even the handkerchief that is around his shoulders is in perfect condition. 
the priest complains of a never-ending dry thirst. L'aqua. L'aqua. A fever and delirium sets in. He begins to convulse and continuously vomits. Even his bowels are greatly affected. Dr. Battaglia does his best to provide comfort but the limitations of 18th century medical science do not provide adequate treatment. Over the course of a few days, the symptoms worsen. The nails fall off the fingers and worms crawl from the body. Decomposition sets in as the priest still clings to life. The odor in the room becomes unbearable. On the fourth day, Don Joe Maria Bertoli is relieved of his suffering and succumbs to his afflictions. Dr. Battaglia has no explanation for this mystery. In the future, the phenomenon will be known as spontaneous human combustion. An owl will now fly us ahead 200 years to 1976. We will meet a mysterious figure in Dr. Hopkins's Visitor, Part 1. Dr. Herbert Hopkins bids his wife and kids farewell as they leave home for an evening at the movies. On this September evening in 1976, Dr. Hopkins takes a break from his investigation of a local UFO sighting. He believes he is on the verge of a breakthrough since he began hypnotic regression on one of the witnesses. Although Dr. Hopkins is a general physician, he has a solid background with this technique. David Stevens, his patient, had witnessed a large aerial object and subsequently experienced missing time. It is 8 p.m. when the phone rings. Dr. Hopkins answers and on the other end of the line is a man claiming to be the vice president of the New Jersey UFO Research Organization. The investigator wants to discuss the Stevens case and then asks, Yes, replies the doctor, and without hesitation, he invites the stranger to his home. 
The phone call ends, and Dr. Hopkins realizes that the investigator did not give his name. Operating on autopilot, the doctor goes to the door and flips on the porch light. He is taken aback when he sees a man gingerly climbing the stairs towards the door. The doctor realizes that it is the man he spoke to just seconds ago. For a brief moment, Dr. Hopkins wonders how the man arrived so quickly, especially without any mode of visible transportation. Without an introduction, Dr. Hopkins opens the door for his visitor. The visitor's appearance is unsettling to the doctor. Oddly, the visitor is shrouded in black, with the exception of his white shirt and gray suede gloves. His suit, tie, and Homburg hat is in pristine condition. What really troubles the doctor is that the man appears emaciated and the skin is chalk white with bright red lips, almost looking like a mannequin. Stepping through the doorway, the visitor is greeted by the ferocious barking of the family dog. Unfazed, the strange figure continues into the living room to take a seat. The dog whimpers and retreats into a closet. Dr. Hopkins sits down opposite his guest as a monotone voice inquires about the Stevens case. Tell me about the case. What do you know? The visitor rigidly removes his hat. Dr. Hopkins notices that the stranger has no hair, not even eyebrows or eyelashes. What's on the tapes? Despite the bizarre nature of his guest, Dr. Hopkins reveals the details of his investigation. It seems the visitor is aware of the details, including that there was a second witness named Glenn Gray. In October 1975, David Stevens and Glenn Gray had seen an object with a blue light heading for their car. The car skidded to a stop, and the young men blacked out. They woke up about a mile from where they had seen the object. Several hours were lost. Dr. Hopkins speaks about the tape recordings of the hypnosis sessions. The strange visitor rigidly moves again, this time to wipe his lips the backside of his gloved hand. Dr. Hopkins is shocked to see that it is lipstick. Looking at the visitor's face, he sees that the mouth is just a small slit, devoid of lips. Just as the doctor realizes that he still doesn't know the visitor's name, the robotic voice states, You have two coins in your pocket. Take out one coin. Dr. Hopkins obliges his guest and pulls out a penny. Watch the coin. The doctor follows the command. Astonishingly, the penny begins to change color 
and then it slowly dematerializes. No one on this plane will ever see that coin again. Do you know what happened to Barney Hill? All I know is that he died years ago, replies the doctor. He died because he had no heart, just like you have no coin. Barney Hill and his wife Betty are well known in the research community as being among the first to report an abduction by a UFO. Barney Hill had unexpectedly died of a brain hemorrhage seven years earlier. The pale-faced visitor continues. We can do the same to your heart. Destroy the files and the tapes. The threat sent a wave of dread through Dr. Hopkins. The voice begins to slow down like a tape machine. My energy is running low. Must go now. The skeletal frame jerks up from the chair and walks like a wind-up toy to the door. Panic creeps in as Dr. Hopkins opens the door for the visitor. The gloved hands grip the railing, and each step is taken one foot at a time. A bright blue light appears at the end of the driveway, but it doesn't look like a car. Dr. Hopkins races to the kitchen window, hoping for a better view. The light is no longer visible. The black-clad visitor slowly turns and walks to the bushes near the house. Again, Dr. Hopkins races to the front door and out onto the porch. He peers into the darkness. The visitor vanished. Fear consumes the doctor. He runs to grab his revolver and slumps into a chair at the kitchen table. The incident replays over and over in his mind, especially the disappearing coin. His thoughts are disrupted when his family returns home. Mrs. Hopkins is shocked to see the dreadful state of her husband. With great trepidation, the doctor tells his family about his encounter. The Hopkins family searches outside to find clues of the visitor's appearance and disappearance. In the driveway, they come across a small tractor tread, which left a deep groove in the ground. At a loss for an explanation, the family goes back into the house. Dr. Hopkins decides to obey his visitor's commands. He frantically destroys all the files pertaining to the Stevens case. The tape recordings are demagnetized and then set ablaze in the fireplace. The tractor tread disappeared overnight.
Following the visitor's instructions did not alleviate the fear and stress. During the subsequent weeks, nightmares of the ghastly visitor would plague Dr. Hopkins, and the family would experience phone interference. Even the phone company confirmed the problems. However, they could not find the source of the disruption. On September 24th, the son and daughter-in-law of Dr. Hopkins will come face to face with their own dark visitors. The Blood Moon is setting. Please follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Minds. There you will be kept up to date on what's new with Blood Moon Podcast. You can find the links below the show's description. Thank you for listening.